From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Given that his draft stock shot off like a rocket after his performance at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis, it's only fitting that Anthony Richardson will enter the league playing in that very same stadium for the Colts. On today's show, we have a full roundtable with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry and the voice of the Gators' Sean Kelly to discuss the fit for AR and Indy, where other Gators shook out in the draft, baseball returning to its winning ways, softball needing to close the regular season strong, and great individual rivalries in the PAT. Then, swimmer and Olympian Josh Liendo joins us to talk about his record-setting freshman season, competing for Team Canada in Tokyo, and getting ready for Paris 2024. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable, presented by Pet Paradise. Pet Paradise is your complete pet health care destination with resort-style day camp, overnight boarding, professional grooming, and compassionate veterinary care from New Day, all located under one roof to serve pet fanatics like you. Book today at PetParadise.com, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. The roundtable rolls into the month of May. We have got a full house today. FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry and the voice of the Gators, Sean Kelly, with a, uh, a bevy of items to discuss. And let's start with the one that, that drew the most headlines, not just in Gator Nation, but really everywhere. And that was some of the, the bigger surprises the NFL draft, one of which was Anthony Richardson going fourth overall to the Colts. And we had talked about this for so long about the ways this could play out all the back, all the way back to the end of the season when there was the question of would he leave, should he leave. Ultimately, he ends up in a, a pretty incredible spot. And, and now, guys, it really comes down to can he match the hype surrounding his physical attributes because that's all anybody talked about even after he was taken. It was all about the physical gifts, almost nothing about what he did on the field, but all about his potential, which obviously Indianapolis is investing in heavily. Well, I think it's another clear sign that the NFL draft is becoming more and more like the NBA draft and that we're drafting more players on potential than maybe ever than I can remember. That's a trend that's now developed over the last couple of years. I'm thrilled for Anthony. If you'd asked me at the end of the season, would he be a top five pick? I, I, I don't know if I could have gotten on board with that. But to Anthony's credit, the way he went about the draft process was pretty remarkable. Not, and I'm not just talking about the combine. I mean, obviously, he handled the in-person interviews, um, all the individual stuff that maybe is not heavily as reported as, you know, the underwear Olympics in Indianapolis. So <laughs> congratulations to Anthony. I think it's phenomenal. And I think overall for the Gators, I, I don't know if you could have asked for this to go any better than it did for Florida, to have the six guys go – in the former fashion that they did, um, I, I don't know if I would have said that we would have reached that number as a program as, as far as supplying folks for the NFL. But sure enough, basically everybody that we thought would go went at probably a slot that is deserved. And then maybe some of the guys that perhaps we thought were fringe um, ended up getting drafted in late rounds. So frankly, I, I, I'm, I'm very happy to be 
uh, a Gator and know those guys and wish them all the best. Yeah, I mean, with Anthony, uh, even in the day since the draft, guys, he's he's still like that storyline that Adam just mentioned. I mean, that is still the talk uh, about his potential. And, uh, I mean, that is part of the draft. But like you guys said, uh, you do see it more and more lately. It's just when you do that on a quarterback, you know, the franchise is going to rest on that win or lose. And um, I, I like where he went. I like Indianapolis. I like the fact that he's getting a fresh start with a first-year coach who has a system, I think, that's going to build around Anthony Richardson's uh, skill set. And, uh, you know, I can tell you that the people up there are excited. I went on, a like, a sports talk radio show this week, and they wanted to talk to me about 20 minutes, and it was all about Anthony Richardson. And, and what they were impressed with, they had him on the show the previous day. They said, has this guy always been this poised and calm? Because he was handling the media up there really – like mature beyond his 20 years. And I said, yeah, I mean, that's one thing that you get with Anthony. I said, I don't know what kind of player he's going to turn out to be. He has an amazing upside. But I said, whatever that is, the person, Anthony, is not going to get in the way. He's a legit guy, uh, a good guy, uh, got a close-knit group of, of advisors and family around him. And I think he's going to handle all that all that off-the-field stuff fine. And that should only help him develop on the field. But, again, I just like the fit because it is a – kind of a reboot for the Colts franchise. You know, first-year coach, first-year hot-shot rookie quarterback, and now we get to see where it goes. Yeah, I I, I don't like the fit at all uh, because I think I said on this on this uh, podcast last week, I needed to go to a place where there wasn't a lot of expectation initially, and instead he's going to a franchise uh, where the quarterback right, – right now they do have Nick Foles. He's expected to be released before the June 1st uh, salary cap dump. Um, but the quarterbacks after that are Gardner Minshew, who's terrible, and Sam Ellinger, who uh, played at Texas and actually has way, way better college stats than Anthony Richardson, not even close. Uh, uh, but the expectation is going to be that Anthony Richardson is going to play. And you're, remember, this is a franchise, Indianapolis – which drafted Peyton Manning, number one. And when he was done, then they drafted Andrew Luck, number one. So they're used to, boom. And those are all number one overall picks. They're used to, boom, these franchise saviors coming in and rescuing their club. Um, I, I'm hoping that, the, you know, for Anthony's sake, they let him kind of uh, learn a little bit. Unfortunately, he'd be learning under Gardner issue, with it, which isn't um, – <laughs> I, I, I don't know how much of an advantage that'll be. He may grow a great mustache, so look at it that I mean, way. He, uh, or, a, or a really bad one. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that's not going to happen. But gosh, uh, uh, on Wednesday, the NFL put out a, a tweet with this picture of AR in his Colts uniform. It says, with a, it has a question mark, QB1 from day one? Gosh, I hope not. Because like I said, he'll be expected to deliver right away. You know, if he doesn't meet meet those ridiculously high expectations, which I which we talked about last week, you know, you just wonder how he's going to handle that. And yeah, he he's handled so much of the interview process and the interpersonal communication stuff really, really well. That's a lot different than the pressures that come with having to produce in the National Football League from uh, the moment you know you step in the building uh, with that contract that he's going to have. I think I saw somewhere he's projected to sign a $34.9 million contract under the uh, rookie salary scale. So all that's good for him. I mean, I, I'm happy for him. Uh, you know, I, I, his day could have gone along the lines of uh, uh, Will Levis's day, mm. I think. Um, 
to to Will Levis's place. You know, he's going to a place where maybe he gets to he gets to hang out a little bit behind a Ryan Tannehill. That may that that may be a a, a better situation for him. But uh, good luck to Anthony. Uh, he's happy. I'm happy. It's a quarterback needy team. And like Scott said, I know they're excited. I stayed in touch with uh, um, the columnist up there, Greg Doyle, who used to who went to the University of Florida, an outstanding writer. Um, and he had told me, like uh, I, I said, I said I, I texted him something about Sam Ellinger uh, should probably, you know, at least regarding me should at least be a guy taking some snaps. He, he goes, he goes, their tools are spoons and butter knives. AR's tools are jackhammers and blowtorches. <laughs> and that's how they're thinking about him right now. So uh, good luck, AR. Good luck, AR. Sean, you mentioned the six skaters drafted. For anyone that doesn't know, it's, of course, Anthony Richardson at fourth overall to the Colts. Uh, surprisingly, Gervon Dexter goes 53rd to the Bears ahead of Osiris Torrance, who goes 59th to the Buffalo Bills, which is becoming quite a destination for Gators. Those are two second rounders. In the fourth round, Ventrell Miller goes to Jacksonville with the 121st pick. At 150, Justin Shorter also goes to the Buffalo Bills. And then the last Gator that came off the board uh, was Amari Bernie in the sixth round at 203 to Las Vegas. Are there any of those you guys think has particular value or are you maybe surprises you in any way? No, I mean, I'm not surprised. I'm, I'm surprised that Osiris Torrance didn't get snatched up sooner. Um, but here's Buffalo just knocking it out of the park. And I think I said a week ago on this podcast, to use Chris Harry's words, um, that any team that snatches him up has probably got themselves a double-digit year NFL guy. And that's a very good franchise already. And so how about, how about Torrance, who probably – you know, we talked about if, if you're getting drafted early, you're probably going to a team that's not winning a whole lot. Well, Osiris Torres just found himself into a great situation in Buffalo, and Buffalo gets a great offensive lineman coming out of college and probably, again, will be a very dependable pro. So, um, you know, I, I was thrilled for Osiris in that sense, not that he slid to where he did, or I don't know if he slides or not, but certainly I thought somebody would grab him sooner. But, you know, Buffalo wins that for sure. Um, and then just one thought, uh, Ventro Miller getting to play up the road at Jacksonville, pretty cool. And after all the investment that's been made on the offensive side of the football uh, here in that franchise, uh, Ventro Miller is now a part of what they're going to try and do on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Yeah, for me, I thought, you know, if there was a surprise, Adam, like you guys, Sean just mentioned, Dexter going a little bit ahead of uh, Osiris Torrance. I think it ended up being only five or six picks. Wasn't that much, but most projections had – uh Torrance going first but you know Dexter we talked about uh he's a guy the NFL folks love because he fits all the physical profile for that league uh and he you know he came into the combine and pro day in really good shape and I think uh his his upside uh definitely outweighed maybe his lack of production at Florida and I do think he's going to improve so I thought it was a smart pick by the Bears and then after that uh I was glad to see Amari Bernie get drafted. Uh, you know, he wasn't even invited to the combine. Uh, nine Gators were, and Amari wasn't invited. And yet he goes in the uh, sixth round to the Las Vegas Raiders. And, you know, I was looking at Amari. When you think about last season with the Gators, uh, I find it just off the top of my head. I mean, I don't know of any player that I think showed as much improvement as Amari. I thought he by far had his best season. And, uh, you know, we're always going to remember that uh, interception against Utah in the opener that clinched that one. And uh, it was just good to see him get drafted. I think uh, 
he's a guy that such a hybrid player. I mean, he could play linebacker, uh, safety, outside linebacker, inside linebacker. He really can go all over the field. So uh, if you have one of those guys in the NFL, will probably play a lot of special teams. But hopefully, we'll we'll see him get an opportunity on the uh, defense as well. I'll I'll just I'll just throw out draft guru vernacular and say that Osiris Torrance is a plug and play guy, right? <laughs> and plug, and play, I think plug plug and play. You, that's a Sean McShay, or Todd McShay or whatever the hell those guys are. That's one of theirs. <laughs> but 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 when it, when he ducks his head in that first out on, I, I I got a feeling he's going to be starting for them. He's going to be sitting there listening to Josh Allen call plays, and that's really, really cool for him because yeah. he's he's about to play for the like Sean said for the next decade with one of the most exciting players, uh, one of the most exciting football players on the planet. There's of course also a list of Gators that weren't drafted but have since signed with teams as free agents. Uh, one of those, Brenton Cox. We wonder what would happen with him. Uh, he goes to the Packers again. You wonder were it not for his off the field issues. Certainly seems like he would have the potential to be drafted, but lots of red flags with Brenton Cox. I think everybody here knows that. Uh, Rashad Torrance goes to the LA Rams. So obviously going to a pretty good team there. The very exciting and now much talked about New York Jets are the home for Trey Dean. Uh, Richard Garage to Buffalo. Three Gators going to Buffalo. Uh, so a lot of former Gators are going to get their chance. Obviously, if you're an undrafted free agent, a lot harder to make it out of camp. Uh, but hey, Got to start somewhere. So lots of opportunities, and we'll uh, we'll be tracking to see what those Gators do as they move forward. Let's talk some baseball, guys, because uh, a week ago we sat here and, and the Gators weren't looking so hot, and then as what do you know, they're hot again. Uh, winners of five straight, and winners of seemingly every game they play against Florida State. The uh, that series is wild now. Twenty two of the last twenty six won by the Gators, uh, and now guys. A little bit of momentum back. Again, the season ebbs and flows, but your thoughts on the last week in Gator baseball? Needed to get right and got right and did so against competition that's uh, certainly, you know, allowed them or presented the opportunity to do so. Um, just Let's just start with a couple of things uh, currently with, you know, this five-game win streak and what happened against Missouri. Number one, Jack Caglione, still Jack Caglione, and now he's tied the school record for single-season home runs. It's quite remarkable. Uh, and he's getting better at facing different kinds of pitchers as he progresses. Started to see signs last week that Wyatt Langford was getting back to being Wyatt Langford, and sure enough, kind of had a breakout weekend, and it continued in the midweek game against Florida State. And the bullpen seems to have settled itself down, um, and that's good news behind what's basically become two reliable starters on the weekend in Sprout and Hurston Waldrop. So all is well again in Gator baseball land. In that sense, you're back to where you were, double-digit hits, double-digit runs, comeback wins when necessary. I think it's now 17 comeback wins on the season wow. for Florida after not having any in that category a year ago. So um, it's funny. You know, you play 56 games in a regular season. You're bound to have a, a bad week or two. We've seen that now amongst all the teams in the conference. And um, I, I'm, I'm much, much happier that we're talking now about this five-game win streak as opposed to the conversation last week because of what lies ahead. Road to Texas A&M, who's kind of spinning around right now, but still tough place to play. And then Vanderbilt at home and then at Kentucky. And then you're done. You're heading for the postseason. So um, if you're going to get right, now is the time to do it here as we clearly now get ready for the May schedule. Yeah, I think of all those developments Sean just mentioned, the one that actually – 
probably Gator fans are, should be most excited about was the bullpen performance over in Jacksonville against FSU because when your starter only lasts nine pitches and gives up four runs or five runs, and you usually you lose that game, right, in the first inning. Uh, but yet you had, uh, you know, Nick Ficarada, uh Blake Purnell, Philip Abner comes in and uh, nine shutout innings from the bullpen, uh, an area that has, you know, just been topsy-turvy all season for Florida. And Blake Purnell specifically, you got to remember, he was a guy who led the team in appearances last season, came out of nowhere to make freshman All-American. And, and yet this year he's kind of slid back into the shadows just because he hasn't pitched that well, nothing else, no injury or anything. So I think that's a good sign. And, you know, the SEC East race, the Gators are right there uh, with nine to go. And uh, as Sean mentioned, these last three series, uh, it's going to determine, you know, the East title and seeding for the SEC tournament. And it's the best time of year, really, in college baseball. So we'll see how these shake out. I'm really uh, intrigued to see if uh, they can get some things going consistently in the bullpen, because if they do, then I think this team's uh, danger meter went way up. One, one thought about Josh Rivera, by the way who's now uh, clearly on the list uh, to be, I guess, uh, considered to be the top shortstop in college baseball, and it's well-deserved. And to do what he's done now in this season for now sustained 40-some-odd games is pretty remarkable. Um, I know we talk about Caglione and Lankford and Sprout and, you know, some of those guys, and even even the freshman grab headlines and Cade Crowan and Luke Heyman. But let's, let's just remember that the most consistent guy on this team right now in the field and at the plate is Josh Rivera, and he's a lot of fun to watch right now, and I hope it continues for him. I want to turn our attention to softball, and at this time next week, the SEC tournament where we be underway. One weekend left in the regular season, it's at Kentucky, uh, and Chris, at the moment, Florida, as we've talked about, right on that fringe of being in the top 16, they're battling a bunch of other SEC teams, if you trust the RPI for that slot for a regional, uh, and if they're going to get there, they're probably going to need even more help from the now top 10 finalists for National Player of the Year, who we've talked about frequently in Skylar Wallace. Yeah, Skylar Wallace actually, Chesham went three for 13 last week, and the Gators uh, uh, still went two and two over, over the week. They had an amazing uh, comeback win in game one against Ole Miss, where they trailed by uh, uh, three runs, uh, you know, going into the going into the uh, bottom of the seven and scored four, four for, a, for a walk-off victory. Lost the second game in one of those um, – Go ahead and say it. Poorly pitched games gave up gave up seven runs, but managed to uh, managed to take the series from Ole Miss. But here they are. They're uh, they're, they're going into this weekend uh, series uh, series finale against Kentucky. Um, they're ten and eleven in the league, and Tim Walton's never finished below five hundred um, in in conference play. Not just at Florida, but also at his previous stop at Wichita State. So fighting a little history here. Um, uh, not because of Skylar Wallace, Alice. I mean, I'm looking at her. She's hitting 492 in conference play. Wow. Uh, um, I mean, she's hitting 456 overall, and that's after going three for 13 last year. Right. So she has a she has a chance to set the school uh, single season record for average. I believe Michelle Moultrie holds that at around 432. I think is the number. Um, we'll see what happens as as that plays out because obviously that could extend well into the postseason, but. Um, you know, a little different scenario for the Gators in terms of their postseason fate, but let's see what happens uh, in their series at Kentucky and see what happens in the SEC tournament uh, next week. 
you know, relative to where they may land regional wise. Cause I think we talked about last week, it's, there's a chance uh, Florida won't be hosting a regional for the first time ever. Under Walton, at least. I don't know if they, I mean, back in the day, I'm not sure if they hosted them or not. We put everything in the Tim Walton era here. So yeah, yes, it's yes. Fair enough. For, the, for the first time under Tim. That's right. Yeah. Let us now turn to our PAT, which is about rivalries, individual rivalries. I'm inspired by the the storyline that's coming out of the NBA playoffs, which I don't know if it's really a direct thing. I mean, LeBron versus Steph Curry, it's not so much that they're going head-to-head. They're just on the court at the same time. Uh, But that's being billed as this matchup. You go back, you talk about when they went at it in the finals multiple times and LeBron on different teams, different eras, etc. So it got me thinking about individual rivalries, great individual rivalries. There's some that are very obvious that go right to the top. I don't want to say them in case they uh, are the one that, that you are holding on to here. But I'm curious, over your many collective years, I mean, we've got 100 plus years of, uh, of sports watching experience here. Uh, your favorite, most memorable individual rivalries. Thanks for reminding us about that 100 years, by the way. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. I've got two that jump out. One that, you know, I remember vividly as a kid and the other one, I've learned to appreciate as I've gotten older through reading and watching YouTube. But the first one is one that I think you mentioned in your text on this topic, Adam, Bird of Magic. I mean, that was the premier individual rivalry when I was a kid in the NBA before Jordan against the Pistons or, uh, you know, Kobe against whoever, uh, and certainly before LeBron and stuff. So it was Magic and Bird, man, those guys. They were the NBA when I was a kid, so that's how I really got into the NBA. And then the second one that really resonates with me uh, started after I read a book by Mark Cram years ago, man, the Ali Frazier boxing Mm -hmm. rivalry of the 70s. And, you know, I was too young to really know that live. But, man, I've gotten into it over the years. I think I've read about every significant book on it. And, I mean, the way those guys really just – didn't like each other at different points, but also it was part show. And then you got Howard Cosell on live TV, breaking them up as they roll around on the floor. I mean, there's just a lot of elements there. So uh, those two, I think, stick out to me more than any other that I can just think of, uh, other than the Harlem Globetrotters and Washington Generals, of course. So. A, a decidedly one-sided rivalry at that, if we're going Globetrotters and the, and the, the Generals. Yes, yes. The Generals won one a couple years ago. Remember did that? They, did they find they won one? They, it was a major upset. It, it made the ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, did someone, not know that. Someone didn't, get the, someone didn't get the script before. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So those Some of those boxing ones that, that Scott references, I, I, I could easily go back because I, I actually am old enough to remember um, uh, that I, I, I was a teenager. But um, and I can imagine what an Allie Frazier and the – and that kind of hype, uh, uh, Thomas or like Sugar Ray Leonard and Thomas Hearns kind of hype would have would have uh, how it would have manifested itself in social media uh, era. One I can have that I actually witnessed several times in person as a as a NFL writer was Peyton Manning Tom Brady. Now they never played against each other, but they right. played against each other, and it was always. It was always uh, a pretty cool theater in the run up to it. Brady got the best of them uh, more times than not. But uh, the, 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 the famous last one that uh, after Brady, after, and it was always what, the Colts, the Patriots would beat the Colts, and it was snowing in New England. And 
Belichick schemed up and had, and had Manny confused and all this stuff. And I just remember being in Indianapolis and the Colts uh, were trailing 23 to seven, I believe. And Manning brought him back and they won the game in the last minute, if I'm not mistaken. And finally got that curse off. And there was no, I, I remember I tried to write a story, a narrative of how Tony Dungy had schemed up Brady finally. Uh, but nobody bought into that because the whole thing was how, you know, Belichick and Brady were geniuses. And, but Peyton Manning finally got that monkey off his back. Tony Dungy got that monkey off his back and they won the Super Bowl. But that was always, uh, that was a cool one during the, I guess it would be the, would it be the aughts, the 2000s? Yeah. 2010s, that would be the pretty good. And that's something that I got to see because I, I got to see three, three of those playoff games live and that was kind of cool. You know, tennis and boxing, because they're individual sports, that's kind of a layup here. And, you know, uh, you mentioned, was it Thomas Hearns and Thomas Hearns and Marvis Marvin Hagler? Oh, also boy. Had, uh, a, a, I think a trifecta there, you know, a three, a three uh, match saga and everything else. Um, tennis is easy. How about Celis, Navratilova, um, you know, uh, Jimmy Connors, John McEnroe, and even more recent, I guess, Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal has always yeah. been entertaining to me as well. Martina and Chrissy Everett. Chrissy Everett, right. You know, right. obviously Forward these were people, right. these were, yeah, giants in their sport. So, and and because they're at the top of their game, they seemingly always would meet in the Grand Slams. Um, I, I don't know if there's one in golf. I mean, would we call Nicholas Palmer uh, a, a, an individual rivalry sure. to stay in the theme here? Um, what about what about Tiger, Tiger and Phil? No. You don't too, think so? Too one-sided for me. Very one-sided, true. Um does Maguire Sosa in the home run chase in 98 qualify here? I mean, they didn't. I, I thought about that. They were that. both chasing that. but yeah. was, it a rival, were, was that a rivalry, though? Does a rivalry have to have vitriol is the question. Because if it's Maguire and Sosa, there's no bad blood. That was just fun competition. So I, I guess that depends what your definition of rivalry is. Funny that you used the word blood in that analogy there, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> Uh, the San Diego Chicken and Tommy Lasorda. I mean, come on. <laughs> I actually saw that recently. I saw that recently on Twitter or something. Like he get out screaming at the chicken. Chicken like what? looking around is great. What about uh? What about Pedro Martinez and Don Zimmer? How about that one? That was a good one. That was a good one. Ooh, yeah. I, well, it was a it was a one off. Bob Welch and Reggie Jackson. Yeah. Okay. How about that one? Yeah. Yeah, had a few robberies. Him and George Steinberg were rivals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Billy Martin and George Steinberg. How about Billy Martin and George Steinberg? <laughs> what, what, how would that play in today's world with what's happened between – I mean, it was beautiful. It was entertaining. But I don't know if we'll ever see that kind of you're fired, you're back history. <laughs> I, I, still, I still remember the back of the uh, Daily News when Billy Martin got hired for the fourth time. It was just a picture of him with his arms crossed looking at the camera. And the headline was said, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's fantastic. So many great rivalries. And, and you guys didn't even include uh, me and Gators Chris, one of the great podcast rivalries of our time. But ri- rivalries, rivalries, you have to win sometimes. Right? <laughs> it's not a rivalry. It can't be so one lopsided and stuff. I, it's one of the the only subjective rivalries, I guess, that's been mentioned here. It's a very subjective rivalry. Um, but objectively, you guys are keeping Gear Nation informed on everything going on as we head down the home stretch here into the month of May. So we appreciate that. And we appreciate you joining us today. Look forward to talking to you next week. All right, Adam. Thanks. Thanks, guys. 
You may not know the name Josh Liendo now, but you probably will by next summer. The freshman phenom came to Gainesville by way of Toronto and Trinidad and Tobago and is already putting his name in the record books as he prepares for a second Olympic run in 2024. We spoke to the Canadian national shortly after his incredible performance at the NCAA championships and went back to the start of his long journey. Family is me, my mom, my dad, my, I have a younger sister. She's one year, old, uh, one year younger than me. So I was originally born, I was born in Canada. I was born in uh, Scarborough, uh, Toronto. Born there, but shortly after I moved to Trinidad. So that's where my hmm. mom and my dad, that's where they met. That's where they were originally living. But we had a lot of family up in Canada and they wanted me to have Canadian citizenship. So hmm. I was born, I was born in Canada, um, but went back to, to Trinidad and kind of grew up there. The first kind of first half of my life, I was kind of, in Trinidad, did you know schooling there? Um, that's where I learned to swim initially. That's where kind of my childhood was in mm. in the Caribbean in in Trinidad. Um, my dad is Venezuelan. My mom is from Saint Vincent, an- another Caribbean island. Mm-hmm. And Trinidad's kind of just in the middle um, between those two. I would say I really started to get into competitive swimming more uh, when I moved to Canada. So I moved to Canada at around ten in in twenty twelve. Um, that's where I kind of moved back there as. My, my mom, my dad, like my parents had the vision of us, you know, living there and staying there. And that's what we did. So I moved to Toronto, moved back and yeah, just went from there. And that's where I learned competitive swimming. And that's kind of where my um, career took off from. Why was specifically Canadian citizenship so important to your parents? I'm not sure. I, I feel like they, they always wanted us to have Canadian citizenship. I feel like also me, even as a little kid, I was always saying that I wanted to, you know, go to Canada. I mean, we loved it. Because we would sometimes, like, I think we had a visit in the summer while we were still living in Trinidad. And we, you know, we loved it. Um, we also wanted to know if we wanted to, you know, go and see snow and stuff like that. Just like, because mm-hmm. we, were, we were just little kids. We wanted to go and see. <laughs> it, it's different. So it's fun, you know, especially yeah. when you're a kid. But yeah, I'm, I mean, I have to ask them more about that question. But I, I feel like they thought that there would be better opportunities in Canada, um, for sure. And that, that was definitely a big thing. What was growing up in the islands and in, in the Caribbean? Because I'm thinking in my mind, and given I was just on a cruise a week ago, when you think yeah. about the Caribbean, most people, it's just a place that you stop short, you know, for a few days on a vacation. What's mm. it like growing up in the Caribbean? What, what's life like down there? I mean, it's awesome. I mean, I feel like every everyone's family down there. It's especially, I don't know, when you're on the smaller islands and stuff like that, especially like a place where my mom lived. It's always warm there, nice weather. Mm-hmm. Um, you had to go to the beach whenever you want, you know, on weekends and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, I, I loved it. I mean, I can just think back. And even though I was super young, I have like such vivid memories of growing up there, of of living there. And yeah, I mean, I, I loved it. And it's, I, I like the culture there. I like how that kind of home feeling Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's great. It was great. You said that your competitive swimming really started after you moved to Canada. So were you, what sports were you into in the first half down there? Soccer? I mean, does everyone play soccer everywhere? But here, I mean, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Soccer is a big, uh, a a big sport down there. Um, So is cricket. Um, I always play like hmm. you know a little bit of cricket in school. I'd say cricket's a huge sport down there. Have you ever tried to explain cricket to anybody uh, from the U.S.? Yeah. How has yeah. it gone? Because I still I've I've had multiple people trying to explain it to me, and it still it does not make sense to me. I mean, it's 
it's a complicated sport. So it's not like, <laughs> it's not something that I get like frustrated about. Like, how do you not get this? I mean, I, I kind of get it. It's a little complicated. I don't even know all the rules myself. Okay, like, that's good to know. I played when I was so young. So, um, but you know, I would still play a little bit and it, it was definitely a lot of fun. So, okay. So when you got started swimming, how mm. quickly did you realize it was something you could use to advance yourself to the level that, you know, where, where you're going now? And when did it, when did it click that it was something you were really good at that could be part of your future? I don't even remember this moment, but I think my dad told me, I said that I wanted to go to the Olympics at like eight years old. Hmm. Um, and I don't even remember this. I, I don't remember saying this, but he told me and like one, once I, you know, made the Olympic team in, in 2020, he was like, I can't believe you'd said that at eight years old. <laughs> and like, you know, an, an eight year old says something and you're like, you know, wow. But you don't, I guess you don't really think about it as much. Like, obviously it's a dream. It's a goal. But to, he said to see it kind of me manifest and like work towards it was something super cool. So, I mean, I, I could say that was that moment, even though I don't really remember it. Um, I'd say around eight years old. I, I started a little bit of, I think I started a little bit of competitive actually in Trinidad to when I was eight, not, not, not as much. It was a little different in when, once I moved to Canada, cause I, I, I would say I took it a little more seriously when I, when I moved here, which is why I kind of, kind of set that as the bar when I really started to get into competitive swimming. When I was I, in my fifth grade yearbook, it's from me that said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said a pro golfer. I don't know why I said that. So we say, <laughs> we say things when we're that age that yeah. don't have a lot of, they don't really make a lot of sense. You just sort of say yeah. the first thing you think about. Um, but yours, yours made sense and, and yours yeah, ended up it happening. It worked <laughs> out, yeah. So how did you get on that path? I mean, how, how does one end up on the Olympic team? Is it in, in my mind, I imagine it's this like super complicated process uh, and you have to go through all of these stages. But how did you progress to, to that level? I mean, I think I've, I've always been a competitor. So that helped me. Um, I had to, you know, work ethic was part of it. Just learning to be better. We're learning to work harder. Obviously, as a as a kid, you know, just mess around, have fun, you know, just swimming for fun. And obviously, as you get a little older, as you start getting getting better, if you want to improve, you have to, you know, put the work in and have a more specific, I guess, focus as to what your your goal is going to be. Yeah, I, that, that's kind of how the process works. Leading up to the Olympics, I would say kind of closest to the Olympics is pretty intense because it's that meet where everyone wants to go. So it's mm -hmm. it's a pretty intense. So you have to be on your game. You have to because, um, you know, people would like come back, come out of retirement or people would, you know, People who've been taking some time off would come back because you know it's the Olympics. Everyone wants to make the team, so it's right. definitely you got to put a lot into making the Olympic team. You went to probably the strangest Olympics ever, the 2020 yeah. Tokyo Olympics, which were actually in 2021. Um, yeah. When you think about you know, your your dreams, and when you said I'm going to be an Olympian, I'm going to get to this level, mm -hmm. how did your experience compare with what you expected? Albeit recognizing that COVID made it different than it would normally be. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. I mean, I loved it because it was my first one. Some of the guys have been like who are on the team, they they were at 2016 in Rio. Mm -hmm. And for them, it kind of sucked because they had an experience <laughs> to compare it to, right? For me, I was like, damn, this is cool because I'm everything is new to me. So I'm going mm -hmm. in, I'm looking at everything and it's impressing me. And it's for me, I mean, I, I loved it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. Just like being in a village, how nice the village looked. Um, team Canada, we had like almost like our own building. Like the bigger teams had like their own building with kind of their flag and stuff like Australia had like a kangaroo out front. We had mm. like a moose and stuff. So, I mean, just stuff like that 
that's kind of ingrained in my memory, which is super cool. I mean, the facilities in Japan were crazy. Like they were, they were so nice. But yeah, in terms of my experience, I would definitely say um, I enjoyed it a lot. Were the beds really built on cardboard boxes, or was that a was was that a fake story? That's true. That was true. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. But I mean, they actually held up like well. I, I know some people that like ripped it by accident, trying to like mess around with it. Yeah. And like, broke theirs. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, they held up. That that was pretty funny though. The stated reasons for that we won't talk about. This is a family show. It's a family podcast. Yeah. Yeah, um, we we know why we know why. When you when you were talking about the facilities, I was thinking of I'm thinking weren't the beds made out of cardboard boxes? But if they were comfortable, then yeah. you know it's all that matters if they're comfortable. Yeah, um, it, it it wasn't too bad. I would say. <laughs> yeah. What was what was the biggest surprise for you about that experience? What's something that you know? I imagine in your mind you build up what it's going to be. Was there anything mm-hmm. that that subverted your expectations? I don't know. I mean, I would say the biggest surprise when I got there was just like how how normal. Like you look at these people. I mean, I saw who did I see there? Like Yao Ming, Mark Gasol, and you're just kind of just they're just normal people. I guess mm-hmm. that was the biggest thing. I was surprised they're not you know these like gods, but people put them up. They're just normal people, but they excel so much at at what they do. So I would say that was definitely kind of a surprise and something that I realized when I was there. Anybody you met in the village or at an event that uh that that stood out to you? I met one of the like the track guys briefly, um, Andre DeGrasse. Hmm. I met him, um, and he was super cool. I think I met him before he won. I think he won. Did he win gold in the two hundred? I think he might have won gold in the in the two hundred. But yeah, I I met him. I think before, like when he was going back to to race the the final, and I met him for a little bit, which was cool. Yeah, I mean, I met a lot of people. I'm going to have to, like, think. To, yeah, think about it. Yeah. yeah, but... I just know if there was, like, a starstruck. You talked about, you know, Yao Ming. I was wondering yeah. if you met anybody, any anybody that was that would make you starstruck that you had a chance to meet. Yeah, well, there's, there's people that I, like, saw. And, but the weird thing about COVID was, you know, people were, like, masked up still because <laughs> it was still, like, a... Um, it was still, like, mandatory to... Mm-hmm. not Yeah, like you would have to wear a mask, especially when you're going to go get your medal. So it was a little bit weird because you'd want to go say hi, take pictures with people, but at the same time, there's like restrictions. So it was a little, I guess that was a little weird. Uh, that would probably been a little bit disappointing. And not being able to go and see other events, like once you're done, you just have yeah. to go right home. So yeah, I guess that was kind of one of the things I couldn't really get to interact with these people and kind of see them and talk to them. As soon as the event is over, you got to go back to your bed yeah. made of cardboard boxes. That's the only place yeah. you get to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so okay. So the timeline of that—that's before college, right? So how does how does college come into the mix? How do you end up deciding that you want to go to school in the U.S. That you want to compete collegiately? Because that's—I don't think that's part of the the, the Canadian. Like that's no, not really not, yeah. normal in Canada, right? So how did you make that decision? Yeah. How did those options open up for you? Yeah, but we only have like a few, a few people that go down, and you know, and probably even fewer that kind of works for with the way it's just scheduled um, meets and events and stuff like that in Canada versus the U.S. I mean, to be honest, for a while it it wasn't in the picture because I had a a good program. I was at um, what we call the High Performance Center. Um, in, in Toronto, 
um, stage in Toronto and, you know, Olympians there, athletes. And it, it was honestly a really good group, a group that, you know, won a lot of medals at the Olympic Games. It, like, it, it was a really good group. Coach there was awesome. Uh, my coach, he's coaching in, in Spain now, but hmm. he was with us and kind of we were preparing for uh, world world champs last year. So 2022, um, our kind of trials to make that meet were in April. And I think we were about to go on a on a training camp for that meet, just to kind of prep. So we we're going to head down to Florida, actually, on a training camp, prep for that meet before we, you know, come back, come back to Canada and get ready um, to race and try to make the team. Um, but I think I, he had a meeting with the director of Swim Canada, and I guess it didn't work out between them, and he got let go, so he couldn't continue with us at all like he couldn't even go to the training camp to kind of get us ready for trials so that was a big thing lost lost my coach mm -hmm. um going into trials didn't have my coach for for world champs for the commonwealth games and i think not too long after that right before i had the trials i got it i get a text from coach nesty and he's reaching out um saying you would like to chat and it kind of just started from there that's where i kind of got the first initial him reaching out and then it was just kind of me. I mean, before this point, I, with my coach, I was kind of considering going pro. Um, hmm. So basically, and obviously going pro and coming to the NCAA doesn't doesn't mesh. You can't. Right. Um, it's not something that works out. So I'd have to choose one or the other. Um, and that was honestly, a, that was a tough decision for me to make. Um, it took me a little bit to kind of figure out what I, what I really wanted and how it was going to work leaving versus staying. I had to weigh the pros and cons, but yeah, that that initial text from coaches kind of started. What was appealing to you about Florida? So obviously that's where you end up. So what ultimately made it feel like the, the right place for you? Kind of, first of all, I was ready to start school. Obviously the NCAA, I don't think anybody does it better than the U.S. where they have um, schooling and then they have sport um, together and they make it work so well. I don't think any other country or place is uh, as good at, you know, combining the two. So that was something I took into consideration. The thing about Florida is, and I also took this into consideration when I was obviously talking with coach and kind of seeing where I wanted to go. Um, their athletes are really good in the NCAA season, and, but they're also really good, you know, when it's time for a world champs, when it's time for, you know, meets at the second half of the year after that NCAA season is over. I mean, and obviously NCAA is fun. I mean, I loved it. I want to compete in NCAA, but also at the same time, I want to be able to do what I'm supposed to do when it's time to get to the meets or championship season with like Worlds, Commonwealth mm -hmm. Games, stuff like that. So, yeah, that's something I took into consideration. And then the people that were in the group, Kieran Smith, you know, Kayla Decky's there now, Dressel, um, the type of people that are in the group were, you know, established, you know, really not just average swimmers, you know, really, <laughs> really good um, swimmers that have established themselves as like the best in the world. So, yeah, Kayla Decky is probably low key the, uh, the best volunteer coach in the history of, of swimming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you talked about that, uh, the, the elite company you get to be a part of and, and the national mm. title that you won in, in the 100 free puts you up there with uh, basically it's, it's you and then Caleb Dressel and like five or six other slots for best times ever. Uh, mm. So you, needless to say, you had a very successful freshman season. Uh, how pleased are you with, with how your freshman year has gone and and the the bar that that you've now set for yourself? I mean, I'm I'm super pleased because I mean, obviously, I had those times 
people are talking about it, oh, dress those records or whatever. But for me, when I came in, it's completely different than, let's say, you know, when you get to the, the college, the NCAA, it's, the pool's different. Like, it's almost a different sport. This, the pool's in, hmm. you know, it's, it's shorter. So for me, when I was coming in, times didn't really mean much for me yet because I didn't, I'd never swam in this type of pool before. It's not like, it's not like an Olympic sized pool. It's shorter. Um, so for me, it was just kind of learning how to swim, um, in this type of environment to, to start off. And then obviously as I started getting experience, I started swimming more, I kind of had, you know, times and, you know, benchmarks and kind of see how I can improve. So, I mean, I'm super excited and I'm super happy with my first year because I just remember being at the beginning of the year, um, going to time and I had no idea what it meant. It's like, oh, you you went, you know, nineteen, like good, good job. And I was like, I didn't even, like, I didn't, I didn't want to be. I'm not trying to sound like, yeah, um, like cocky, but I was like, is is that good? Like, is <laughs> is, is that a good time? Because I had no idea. Like, I, I don't know what this meant. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm super happy with where I came from the start of the season. From you know, not even knowing what times mean to kind of understanding where I am, you know, on the all time list and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like when Happy Gilmore picks up the club at the when they're moving him out of the house and he hits it like five hundred yards. This hell's a weeble. He's like, "Oh, was that good?" He's like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good." Yeah. Um, so um, among among your accomplishments, one that, that people I think talk about the most is the fact that you were the first Black Canadian swimmer to win a medal in international competition. When you did mm-hmm. that at the World Championships in twenty twenty one. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what does that mean to you? I, I know you get asked about that a lot, but what does it mean mm-hmm. to you to be, do you, do you see yourself as a trailblazer in that sense? Are you uncomfortable with, with, you know, having to, to like carry that type of weight? How, how do you feel about that? I have been asked this question and I've honestly had time to like, think about it and what it really means. I mean, I'm, I'm proud of, you know, being able to be the first athlete like me to, to win a medal on the, on the world stage. And I kind of, that pride comes a little more from when I see, you know, all the messages that I get from people saying you're an inspiration and, you know, people coming up to me and tell me how grateful they are that they could see someone like me and they have someone to look up to. So, I mean, I I feel like at first when it just happened, I was like a little uncomfortable because I don't even think I, I realized at that point what, um, what I had accomplished, mm-hmm. but you know, as time went on, I kind of understood what what that meant, not just to me but to other people. Um, there's definitely a sense of pride there, and it's always a little extra motivation for me when I'm going into race. So kids say they look up to you, and inevitably, I would ask you, who do you look up to? Who are some athletes or, or individuals that that yeah. you admire and, and inspire you? It's, it's it's not a swimmer. People always ask me if it's a swimmer, but. The athlete that I look up to the most is Allen Iverson. I like, I think Allen Iverson is like one of the greatest athletes ever, and not just just as an athlete, but the type of person he was, the way he played, how tough he was, and kind of how. I mean, Allen Iverson was just different, right? He he changed the game, not just in the way they played the game, but kind of everything else. You know, the the way they carried themselves in the game, and I, I mean, that's something that stuck out to me. Is you know, he's. Like this is a guy, you know, when Alan Iverson's walking on the court, he's a guy. So that that was something that definitely kind of drew me to Alan Iverson. And that's why I look look up to him. I'm trying to think about how you would have even like, how did that happen? You know, he didn't play for the Raptors. He 
He's no. kind of older. <laughs> like he, I don't even know if he was yeah. even good anymore by the time you were watching basketball. How how did you how did you become an Allen Iverson? I, I don't even think I've interviewed yeah. a basketball player that said Allen Iverson before. Yeah, I mean my my parents, man. Like my my parents watched. I I didn't watch a lot of swimming when I was younger. I I watched obviously the Olympics and stuff like that, but I don't think I watched like a world stuff like that. My parents watch a lot of basketball. Hmm. So I remember, you know, LeBron on the Heat. I must have been, I don't know how young I was, but my parents watched a lot of basketball and obviously watched a lot of basketball documentaries, stuff like that. And that's kind of how I found out about this player. Obviously, he didn't even, you know, he was kind of on his way out. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The timing doesn't even make sense. But yeah, I just kind of, just the personality and what what I was able to see and yeah, things about Alan Iverson was what kind of just drew me. Uh, to him. kind of the same with like Michael Jordan, like a lot of people didn't mm-hmm. grow up in that time, but it it's just the name and the the presence and the athlete. When when you make enough money down the road, you can continue Allen Iverson's tradition of not packing a suitcase and <laughs> where he would just buy new clothes everywhere he went because he didn't like to pack. Well, yeah, one of the one of the craziest ways I've heard someone lose a ton of money, maybe ever in sports. It's definitely memorable. Yeah. Um, Couple, couple final things for you. Um, what, what do you enjoy doing outside the pool? I know that's a lot of your focus, and a lot of your time and energy. But when you're, when you get away from it, what do you like to do? I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I, I, I game quite a bit. I play video games, game with my friends, just get on, I don't know, get on the PS Five, play some Call of Duty, play some Warzone. Mm-hmm. I used to play NBA Two K for a little bit, but honestly, since I've been here, it's been more like Warzone video games. Um, I don't have any instruments here, but back home I I have a guitar. Like back in in Toronto, oh, nice. so I, I like music. So um, I used to play quite a bit. I like listening to music. I like playing music. Last thing I have for you: we talked a lot about the Olympics and what happened in the past, but obviously the future is coming up pretty quickly in terms of Paris in twenty twenty four. What does that path look like for you? When does when does that really get started? Uh, in earnest that that pursuit of that next chapter in the the olympic story i mean i mean it kind of starts now like the work ethic the the kind of mindset leading up to it the it's pretty close when you're looking at it from kind of my my standpoint of like Mm -hmm. when just the way you want to prepare and the way you want to set yourself up it's you know it starts now um obviously having the world champs i right after ncaa's i had the canadian trials and got myself on the team so I'll be going to Worlds in, in Japan in in July. So having Worlds, obviously, that's a high-level meet. Sometimes, you know, it's faster than the Olympics um, in terms of what people go. People um, perform pretty, pretty well at that meet. So, yeah, ha- having that meet is going to be a good kind of benchmark if I can, you know, perform well, m- make another drop in time, make another jump forward um, at that meet. That's kind of setting myself up perfectly for – you know, the next year, the Olympic year. Well, it's still over a year away, but I know again, in your world, it feels like it might as well be tomorrow. So uh, yeah. good good luck as you, uh, as you begin that preparation. Gator Nation is going to be rooting for you along the way. And uh, thank you so much for talking to us today. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. 
Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales.